This is the first day of this April 2021 online five-day session. And I'm going to go back to, uh, well, about 800 or 900 years to uh, some teachings of uh, Chinese masters from uh, oh, roughly eight or 900 years ago. Uh, there are no dates here, but uh, this is from a, a collection of various texts in a, in a book called The Practice of Zen, and uh, it's uh, the editor is uh, uh, C. C. Chang, Chen Chi Chang. This is one of the few books. Uh, that Roshi Kaplow had available in English uh, way back in the late 60s and in the 70s. Um, but it really holds up well over time, maybe because it's eight or 900 years old. Uh, and we're going to turn to one uh, called uh, Zen Master Wu Wen's story. It's a sh very short uh, story by a Chinese master. Uh, again, no dates here, but uh, roughly uh, 1200 or 1100. <clears throat> when I first saw Master Dao Wang, he taught me to work on the koan, it is neither mind nor Buddha nor anything. That's uh, in the Mumonkan collection of koans. Later, Yun Feng and Yue Shan and I, with several others, vowed to help each other in our striving for ultimate enlightenment. Still later, I went to see Huai Shi, who taught me to work on the Wu word. Wu is the, the uh, equivalent of, of Mu, the same. Uh, Zen, what we call Zen, originally Chan, uh, originated in China. And uh, what we, when we refer to the Mu Koan, uh, the, word, the original Chinese would be pronounced Wu, W-U. Uh, I think I'm just going to convert it to Mu um, because I don't know anyone listening to this Taisho who's working on Wu but uh, many people are working on Mu, so I'm just going to make it Mu. Of course, the, the koan itself is uh, where a monk asked the great Chan master Zhao Zhou, Joshu, does even a dog have Buddha nature? To which Zhao Zhou replied, Mu or Wu. Then I journeyed to Changlu, where I practiced with my companion. When I met Qin of Huai Shang, a lot of Chinese names here, um, but they thin out as we go on. When I met Qin of Huai Shang, he asked me, You have practiced now for six or seven years. What have you understood? I answered, Every day, I just feel that there is nothing in my mind. 
that's not bad. How many of us can say uh, day in and day out, we're, our, our mind is free of thoughts. But then it goes on, seeing that I had no true understanding. So let's just pause there. To have no thoughts in the mind is a wonderful, wonderful, very advanced state. But it's not realization. It's the precondition for awakening. Seeing that I had no true understanding, he asked, from what source has your understanding come? I was not sure whether I really knew the truth or not, so I dared not answer. He then said to me, you're able to hold to your work in quietness, but you lose it during activity. This alarmed me, for he had hit my weak spot. What should one do, I asked, to understand this matter? Uh, before I continue, this matter, this, this uh, weak spot, as this master describes it, is a weak spot for just about everyone in Zen practice. Um, however difficult it is to keep the mind free of thought, or in the case of the Mu Koan, keeping the mind absorbed in Mu, while sitting, it's harder when not sitting. There, there, there. I do hear people sometimes report. Well, actually, I feel that I can, I can be more concentrated on Mu when I'm not sitting. Uh, so that is something that some people report. Um, I suspect when I hear that that they're just not that when they're in activity, when they're going about their daily daily activities, they're not as aware of the thoughts that are intruding as they are when they're sitting. When we're sitting and and sitting without moving, uh, we have nowhere to go and we're in the, our thoughts as they come up uh, are so plain to see. And so we can get the impression that we're having a harder time. Whereas actually, uh, it could just be, I think it very likely is that we're just more acutely aware of the thoughts when we're sitting. Whereas at other times, uh, we can just be unaware of them and imagine that we're doing better. Anyway, that's one hypothesis. How could anyone say for sure? It's a, it's a little like uh, uh, people who come to Doksan on day three or four of Sashin, say, and they say with some plaintively they say gee i feel that my concentration is worse now than it was at the beginning of sashin now that you can't have more thoughts in the in the mind uh, after 3 or 4 days of sitting 10 or 12 hours a day you can't have more thoughts you can't you can't be more caught in your thoughts uh, with all that sitting the truth is, I'm con absolutely convinced of this, is that you're just more aware of thoughts that you weren't aware of before. So again, um, okay, he had hit my weak spot. So what should one do, I asked, to understand this matter? 
Chin answered, Have you never heard what Chung Lao Zi said? And this, then he quotes this, I guess, a master, uh, says, To understand this, face south to see the dipper. Let's just unpack this for a minute. My guess is that uh, talking about the Big Dipper, you know, this very, very well-known, prominent constellation in the sky, and that probably, uh, I don't know, I've never really noticed what direction you would face to see the Big Dipper. I had up, how about up? Uh, but uh, let's say it's north. It's probably north because this is a, a, um, a completely confounding statement to the to the listener. So to understand this, to to see into this great matter, face south, to see the Big Dipper. Absolutely the opposite of what common sense tells us. We have to, we have to be untethered. We have to get free of this common sense mind to see what is beyond the senses. To see beyond this world of phenomena. And then this, uh, the author of this story, Wu Wen, he says, upon saying this, he left me abruptly. Snap. Take that. Face south. Good luck seeing the dipper facing south. And then the author says, as a result, I became unconscious of walking when I walked and of sitting when I sat. Now, this is an important point. What he's describing is a state of no-mindedness, not mindfulness. Mindfulness means being conscious of walking when we're walking and of sitting when we're sitting, being aware of those things. This is something different. And it's important to, to take note of this. Mindfulness, of course, has its place. Mindfulness is what enables us, when the mind has wandered, to notice that the mind has wandered. It's a key part of Zen practice, the Zen method, is noticing when the mind has strayed. Important. But what he's describing here is something something else. It's a it's a it's a I would call it a kind of a samadhi state, a state of total absorption. Um, you don't want to aspire to this. It, he wasn't. I don't think the author was trying to become unconscious of walking when he walked and so forth. But it can happen in a state of, of one single-minded concentration. But anyway, uh, I put aside the practice on the Mu Koan for a week and concentrated my mind on trying to understand what in heaven's name he had meant by facing south to see the dipper. This would be a, a, a tactic 
that the masters would sometimes use. Just saying something that uh, is, is completely beyond reason in order to, again, to uh, free uh, the student from this box, this box of a mind we call the rational mind. One day when I came to the hall of service and sat with a group of monks, the doubt sensation stuck with me and refused to dissolve. Now here, Many of you know what this refers to, the doubt sensation. It's the, the reverse side of faith. Uh, doubt sensation means the, the sense of perplexity, of wondering. So a kind of commonplace way to understand this is Let's say you uh, you misplace your keys. You're at home. Uh, you you need to get off to an appointment, and uh, you're headed out the door, and you can't find your keys. And uh, your your pattern is such that you always leave your keys by the door or in that dish or on that counter. You just automatically do it when you come in, but they're not there. And, and you know you haven't gone anywhere, you haven't left, you haven't driven anywhere. The keys have to be there somewhere in the house where you don't normally put them. So that's the element of faith, to have faith that the keys have to be there somewhere. And, and then in, in proportion to that faith comes the perplexity. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. They're here. They're here. But where? They, I remember bringing them in the door. What happened to them? No one's come in. I've been home alone. No dogs or cats to make off with them. So that's the, the whole point uh, when working on a koan is to have this faith that you, you, it is within your capacity to resolve this paradox that we call a koan, this contradiction. And, 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 and to the degree that we have faith, it's going to engender questioning. That could take a while. I think for most of us, uh, it takes years of, of uh, developing this faith in the koan we're working on uh, before the, the perplexity really gets a hold of us. Oh, maybe, I don't know, most of us, uh, but uh, it, well, it sure helps to go to Sashin and sit 10 or 12 hours a day. That's when you're most likely to really uh, develop this sense of perplexity or doubt sensation. So again, he reports, the doubt sensation stuck with me and refused to dissolve. The time for dinner came and passed. Suddenly I felt my mind become bright, void, light and transparent. My human thoughts broke into pieces like skin peeling, as if I had merged 
in the void, and I saw neither person nor thing appearing before me. I returned to consciousness about half an hour later and found that my body was running with sweat. Immediately I understood the meaning of seeing the dipper by facing south. I went to see the master. Whatever questions he put to me I could answer without hindrance or difficulty. Also, I could compose verses freely and effortlessly. However, I still had not stripped myself to the point of reaching the state of leaping one step upward. So, from what one can tell, 900 years later, he seems to be describing having gotten into some kind of shift of understanding. Maybe we could call it a a um, tentative awakening experience, very light awakening experience. But he recognizes that it's not a game changer. It's not as in, that itself isn't going to change his, his life. Later, I went to Shang Yen's place in the mountains to spend the summer. The mosquitoes which infested the region bit me terribly. I had to move my hands continually to keep them away. I wonder how many of you listening to this have been in that kind of uh, circumstance where they're so thick, you just have to keep your hands moving. Then I thought, if those in ancient times had sacrificed their bodies for the sake of the Dharma, should I be afraid of mosquitoes? With this in mind, I tried to relax and endure the pests. Uh, I think I may have related this story fairly recently, so I'll make it quick. This is what Roshi Kaplo uh had to endure once in the Zendo in Japan on a hot summer night where they opened, the monks deliberately opened the screens uh, to allow the mosquitoes to come in. And, and of course, there's no moving uh, during a formal sitting. And he had to sit there while the mosquitoes feasted on him. And the monitor, he said, the monitor with a stick standing behind him and uh, he found in doing that, just that, that commitment to not moving and just enduring whatever it was, that he became the mosquitoes. The problem disappeared. Uh, I heard that uh, Harada Roshi that's Roshi Kaplow's first uh, teacher uh, he spent three years with in Hoshinji, that Harada Roshi himself, maybe he read this story, maybe it's a widely, maybe a widely um, known story in, or, or technique, maybe it's just a, a strategy that is widely known in Japan, but Harada Roshi uh, himself uh, stripped down to just a loincloth went into a bamboo grove, a swampy area, where the mosquitoes just swarmed all over him and came to Kensho. He had no, he had no choice but to... The, the concentration he had to summon up uh, 
to not move when that was happening uh, was such that he was able to break through and have his first initial awakening experience. This is the this is the the uh, power of the mind of concentration. Um, if we can not shrink from adversity, um, but to to commit to the practice, you can be sure that that Harada Roshi and Kaplosan, that when they were doing this, they had no thoughts about uh, don't move, don't move, don't move, don't move, or, or those are the damn mosquitoes. Uh, they just put all their concentration in the koan they're working on. And then that becomes the, the uh, talisman, that becomes the, the magic flute that delivers you from the pain. If it's not mosquitoes, then it can be ordinary physical pain. But, but, but I hasten to say you don't want to push that too far. You don't want to injure yourself. You definitely don't want to sit with, uh, with a, acute pain, stabbing pain. But there is a certain level of discomfort that if you can sit through it, it can take you to a whole different level of practice. He goes on, with this in mind, that is, uh, why should I be afraid of mosquitoes? With this in mind, I tried to relax and endure the pests. With fists clenched and teeth tight, I concentrated my mind solely on the moo, bearing the continuously repeated bites of the mosquitoes with the utmost patience. Soon I felt both my mind and body sink quietly down like a house whose four walls had fallen. The state was like the voidness, emptiness. No attribute can be ascribed to it. I had sat down in the early morning, and it was not until afternoon that I arose from this period of meditation. Thereupon, I knew for certain that the Dharma never misleads us or lets us down. Although my understanding was then quite clear, it had not yet come to the point of full maturity. I still possess slight, subtle, hidden, and unnoticeable wrong thoughts which had not been completely exhausted. Going to the mountain, I meditated for six years there, for another six on the mountain of Luhan, and for three more at Kuang Chao. Not until then did I gain my liberation. Let's just take note of that. After that first experience, and then the second one with the mosquitoes, and then six plus six plus three, before he came to well, what we can uh, infer was truly deep awakening. 
there are those who early in their practice will 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 ask uh, maybe ask themselves or sometimes they ask me in Doksan, how long will it take it's it's a natural enough question but uh, as long as we're thinking in terms of time then it's it's going to time's going to drag where we're not going to be able to really hit our stride we're not going to be able to uh, get beyond uh, time and space so one of the real challenges of of zen practice is to put aside uh, self-concern and that, that is a self-concern how much time will it take me how much do i have to work in order to you know effect this transaction that's self-concern and so zen practice rests on faith not the idea of a god there's no such thing in zen but faith in the practice the method if we have complete faith in it then we're not going to be ambushed with thoughts about how much longer will it take but even if you are uh, in the earlier stages of practice it's not a deal breaker um, you just when you notice you're snagged in thoughts about how much longer it's going to take just notice it okay there i go again that's not going to help anything and just get back to the the practice, the breath of the koan, whatever it is. That's the end of this uh, this short story of, of this master Wu Wen. And then here's the next one. This is a uh, well, for what it's worth, Zen master Shui Yen. And he begins. Time does not wait for people. Swiftly, the next lifetime will be upon you. Therefore, why do you not try to understand Zen and practice in earnest with a humble mind to make it transparently clear throughout? How fortunate you are to live here surrounded by famous mountains and great lakes. How lucky you are to find yourself in a world full of teachings and masters. Your monastery is clean and neat. The food, good and nourishing. Water and firewood abound nearby. If you don't use this hard-to-find opportunity to understand clearly and thoroughly, you are squandering your life. You are sinking yourself in self-abandonment and willingly abasing yourself to become a low, stupid person. If you feel ignorant about this teaching, why do you not question the elders extensively and ponder on what they say to discover the meaning? This is classic um, Chinese and Japanese and Korean um, exhortation, encouragement, um, stating what should be obvious to all of us as human beings that our time is limited.
as one master said, were like fish in a pond that is, be, that is being steadily drained. advantage of this opportunity, he's saying. And, and the, what is unspoken is, uh, for those who can imagine rebirth, is that we don't know uh, in our next lifetime or our next ten lifetimes when we might encounter this dual teaching, this uh, unfailing method It's hard to to uh, motivate people with this, as common as it is, and as it's as um, undeniable as this is, this matter of impermanence. It it's <laughs> it's hard to motivate people with it. Um, maybe with enough repetition. And enough of years passing, this becomes, as we come, become older, this becomes more and more um, pressing and more uh, urgent. What, what seems to work better, and it's it just on its own, is painful circumstances. Loss, loss, loss of people close to us, losing uh, our physical uh, health or our memory, our mental uh, well-being, our acuity. It's 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 losing things that tends to wake us up to this matter that, uh, this fact that we're going to lose our lives someday. But still, the masters and I uh, still from time to time feel compelled to remind people. And maybe with enough repetitions it sinks in and as the years pass uh, people will take this more seriously. And then he offers some personal uh, history. I uh, became a monk at the age of five when I overheard my teacher discussing this matter with his guests and visitors. Then I knew that there was such a thing as Zen and immediately I had faith in it. Soon I began to learn how to meditate. At 16 I was ordained so when he said I joined the, became a monk at the age of five, well, there's a kind of a novice, novice period when they're very young. But then at 16, I was ordained. At 17, I started uh, my pilgrimage. I visited the master so-and-so, and I joined the meditation hall. From dawn to sunset, I never left room or court. Even when I entered the dormitory, I just crossed my hands within my big sleeves and looked straight ahead 
without seeing anything to the right or to the left. I fixed my, my eyes on a spot about three feet ahead of me. So this is, this is someone who is determined not to be distracted, determined not to be caught in unnecessary things, just keeping that focus. In the beginning, I worked on the koan mu. One day, I suddenly turned my mind inward, seeking to discover where and how the thought first arose. Instantly, I felt as if my mind had become frozen. It became clear, serene, and limpid, neither moving nor shaking. The whole day seemed like a passing second. I didn't even hear the sounds of drums and bells, which occurred at regular intervals in the monastery. So here, again, is another uh, samadhi state. It's one that uh, Hakuin describes in his autobiography. I think he describes it as feeling like you're encased in a sheet of ice stretching 10,000 miles. Again, the distinction between this and mindfulness. I just want to rewind to the beginning of this paragraph where he says, uh, when I heard, overheard my teacher discussing it, then I knew that there was such a thing as Zen. Uh, yeah, I wonder about this translation, such a thing as Zen. He's, prob he's not talking about just the method uh, because he's, the next sentence is, soon I began to learn how to meditate. Such a thing as Zen... Uh, there is this, let's say, let's put it this way, maybe, uh, that there is this principle that this world of form is fundamentally empty. And at the same time, the world of emptiness is no other than this world of form and phenomena, this world of appearances. That's one way of summarizing teaching, not just the teaching of Zen, the teaching of the Dharma. Here's another one from the Lankavatara Sutra. Things are not what they appear to be, nor are they otherwise. Or maybe when he says, I knew that there was such a thing as Zen, maybe it means he... This awakened his faith in enlightenment. It, it kindled his faith that, that he, it, awakening is something that any of us can realize because it is our nature. Our, our essential nature is enlightenment. We all have this as our essence. So it's just a matter of time before we can awaken to it. So 
we left off with him uh, spiraling into this state of deep absorption we call samadhi. And he says, when I was 19, I stayed at the monastery as a visiting monk. Meanwhile, I had received a letter from Chu Chao, which said, Dear Chin, your Zen is a dead Zen. That which you have been working on is like dead water, useless. Your work is to divide activity and inactivity into two. The important thing in Zen work is to arouse the feeling of inquiry doubt. Okay, we talked about that earlier this morning, the doubt sensation, perplexity. A small doubt sensation will bring a small enlightenment and a greater doubt sensation will bring forth a great enlightenment. And that's the end of this monk who wrote the letter to him. And then he says, his words hit the mark. I then went to Chinzu Monastery and banded together with seven of my brothers of Dharma there. We vowed to meditate in in the strictest manner. We put aside our quilts and refused to lie down on our beds. That, That was a thing in China. that uh, we read about where the monks just make a vow that they're never going to lie down. They might doze off sitting up, but they're not going to lie down. And that's what they vow to do, refuse to lie down on our beds. The chief monk, the head monk, Brother Shu, remained outside our room. Every day when he sat down on his mat, he appeared as steady and as immovable as an iron pole thrust into the ground. When he walked, he opened his eyes and dropped his arms so that he still looked like an iron pole. No one could become intimate or talk with him. This uh, description, uh, dropping one's arms. Uh, I think of um, children uh, before they've developed this sense of self, fully developed sense of self, where they just, especially uh, toddlers, especially, where they walk with utterly relaxed shoulders, just the arms down, and they stand for a photograph, same thing. They're not, they haven't learned to sling their hip off to one side. Just planted. And same with the way they walk. Centered. Shoulders relaxed completely. And you seem the same in uh, someone with long, long training, long practice in Zen, is that kind of, of, uh, it's a kind of surrender, an openness of a child. Now, next paragraph. 
For two years, I did not lie down. Just that, those seven word sentence, for two years, I did not lie down. Then one day I became so tired that I gave up and lay down and had a good sleep. Two months passed before I collected myself and was ready to work again. The, relax, the relaxation I had had in those two months refreshed me. I felt very vigorous and lively. From this experience, I learned that if one wants to understand this matter, he cannot go completely without sleep. And, and I would add that if you're making a very strong effort to stay up all night or half the night in Sashin, for example, and you succumb to sleep, it, it, you just go back at it. Maybe I'm drawing, drawing from memory of having overslept once. I was so determined to stay up later deep into the night and uh, and finally I was just bobbing like one of these uh, these little things on the drinking glass that bob up and down and uh, so I packed it in went to bed and was stricken with shame guilt that I had failed That's ridiculous the only the only kind of failure is quitting entirely quitting practice and even that isn't any kind of ultimate failure, because you can always pick it up again. There is no failure, really. The main thing is to persevere. Even when one gets sidetracked, falls off the horse, get back up on it. But this is two months of relaxation. It uh, kind of uh, points to the uh, how if we go to one extreme there's often a tendency to snap back. Um, anyway, I learned that you can't go completely without sleep. A sound sleep at midnight, <laughs> only at midnight, a sound sleep at midnight is necessary to refresh oneself. One day I noticed that the head monk, Shu, by the balustrade. This was the first time I had had an opportunity to speak with him. This is the guy who just looked straight ahead, walked with his arms completely down, and no one talked with him. For the past year, this is him talking to the head monk. For the past year, I have wanted to talk to you. Why do you always avoid me? I asked. The head monk replied, One who really practices the way has no time even to cut his nails. Who has the leisure to talk to you? I then asked him what to do about the drowsiness and errant thoughts which afflicted me. He said, These things happen because you are not earnest enough. You should sit erect on your seat, keep your spine straight, make your whole body and mind become one koan, and pay no attention to drowsiness or wild thoughts.
this is uh this is old school this is hardcore monastic zen practice he's talking about so the author says working in accord with his instructions i unknowingly forgot both my body and mind even their very existence for three days and three nights my mind stayed so serene and clear that I never closed my eyes for a single moment. On the afternoon of the third day, I walked through the three gates of the monastery as if I were sitting. Again, I came across the head monk. What are you doing here? He asked. Working on my, working on the Tao, the way, I answered. He then said, what is this you call the way? Not able to answer him, I became more confused and perplexed. With the intention of meditating further, I turned back toward the meditation hall. But accidentally, I met the head monk again. He said, just open your eyes and see what it is. After this admonishment, I was even more anxious to return to the meditation hall than before. As I was just going to sit down, something broke abruptly before my face as if the ground were sinking away. I wanted to tell how I felt, but I could not express it. Nothing in the world can be used as a simile to describe it. Immediately, I went to find the head monk. As soon as he saw me, he said, Congratulations! Congratulations! Holding my hand, he led me out of the monastery. I walked along the river dike, which was full of willow trees. I looked up at the sky and down at the earth. I actually felt that all phenomena and manifestations, the things I saw with my eyes and heard with my ears, the things that disgusted me, including the passions, the blind passions, all flowed out from my own bright, true, and marvelous mind. During the next two weeks, no moving phenomena appeared in my mind. Unfortunately, at that time I had no Zen master to instruct me. Thus I mistakenly lingered in such a state for many years. This is the so-called state wherein the view is not thorough, therefore it hinders genuine understanding. I could not hold the view, in quotation marks, while, slip, while sleeping. At this stage, I could grasp the koans that were intelligible, but whenever I met any of those impenetrable silver mountain-like and iron wall-like koans, I could not understand them at all. Although I had practiced for many years under my deceased teacher, none of his private discussions or public talks struck my heart. None of the Zen books or sutras meant much to me. This obstacle was an oppression within my heart for ten years. Ten years. 
Then one day, when I was walking in the hall of the monastery, I lifted my head and saw a cypress tree standing before me. Suddenly, in a flash, I understood. The experience previously gained and the obstacle weighing upon my heart all melted away. The feeling was akin to experiencing the bright sun shining suddenly into a dark room. From that time on, I had no doubts about life and death, no questions about Buddha and patriarchs. Then when I saw where that old man, Chin Chan, stood, it's one of those masters, I gave him 30 blows. That brings us to the end of our time. We'll stop now and recite the four vows.